You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, there's an interesting conversation in the culture right now about relationships. Yesterday in the New York Times, David Brooks was commenting on the resignation of Anthony Kennedy, and he pointed out that we've got a loss today of our sense of we-ness in America. And uh, Kirsten Powers, some of you know, is a political consultant and commentator, recently wrote in the USA Today uh, that we are so focused today on individual success that we're losing our connectedness to one another. The CDC last month put out a report on this growing epidemic of uh, suicides that we're seeing. And as much as we have a problem with mental health in America that seems to continue to to build, their analysis shows that the greatest single factor in suicides, not mental health, it's, quote, relationship problems. Commenting on that report, Suzanne Venker writes, it's the state of our relationships, not the state of the individuals themselves. Uh, that's broken. Now, any one of us here, myself included, could tell a story today of strained relationships, of broken relationships, of a trail of relationships that haven't gone the way we wanted them to go. But the good news today is, and this is why we're here in church, why God, I believe, has us here in this room today, is to, to hear this message. And this is what I'd like to What I'd like to share with you today, fundamentally, it's that in the the space that you and I make for community, God makes his love flesh and bones. It's where we make space for community that God's love becomes flesh and bones. Now, we're reading the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, and boy, there's one thing you can't escape in the beginning of Genesis, and that's that you and I are made for relationships, We're made for community. It is not good for man to be alone. That's the affirmation right there. And uh, some of us have tested that uh, hypothesis and found it to be true. Okay, we're in the image of God, three in one, a communal being. We're made for relationship with one another. There's nothing about our lives that's sustainable only as an individual. And so we're reflecting on this garden. The imagery of it is so beautiful. And the imagery is suggested to us that God wants to create an environment for our lives in which we can be refreshed and renewed and grow and become fruitful. And the way we do this is by meeting the gardener, Jesus Christ. And what he wants to do, this gardener, is touch our relationships and renew them. So that's the invitation today. That's the promise of this garden for you and me today. Let's open up our Bibles and begin to study this together. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. I'd like to invite you to read this aloud with me today. If you're able, please stand. Turn the black book and the rack in front of you to page 2. And uh, let's read Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. Then the Lord God said, 
it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. You might keep your Bible open. We're going to work through this text. And sometimes we see that the Lord causes a deep sleep to fall on the man, even here in this room as we reflect together. So this is real. This is real. Well, for this man, God's love becomes flesh and bone. But how? Let me ask you a question. Look at verse 23. This is the first time a human being is speaking in the narrative, in the whole Genesis narrative. And my question to you is, to whom is the man speaking? Look at it again. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh. Who is he speaking to in this? There are a few possibilities when you think about the characters that are there. Uh, He might be speaking directly to the woman. If he were speaking to the woman, which I don't think he is, if he were, he would probably start by saying you instead of this. Uh, But uh, what it would be is essentially a pickup line. Right? He'd actually be saying something like, I don't know, babe, I don't know if you're a parking ticket, but you got fine written all over you, right? I mean, he'd be starting his move. And, and but that's not what he's doing, okay? I just want you to, thought I could help a couple of you there. Uh, this, is, this is not a pickup line. He's not even speaking to the woman. Okay, so who else could he be speaking? Well, maybe he's speaking to the animals. If he were speaking to the animals, he's saying, this, at last, is flesh. He'd be actually, it'd be like a Dear John breakup letter, right? He's like, we were together for a while, but now I found something I really feel good about, right? It's a breakup, it's a breakup line. But that's not, he doesn't seem to be speaking to the animals. Who else? Well, he could be speaking to himself. If he's speaking to himself, it's kind of like a leering fantasy. He's looking, not saying anything, but just sort of like, hubba, hubba, now look at this thing, you know? Okay, he's not doing that either. To whom is he speaking? There's only one other character in the story, right? And here, if you're thinking the answer in church is always God, you're right today, okay? He's speaking to God. This is really, really important. He's speaking not to the woman about their relationship. He's speaking to God about their relationship. He's speaking to God about the woman. He's saying, I'm not going to relate to you without God. I'm not going to relate to God without you. There's a triangle here. What the Bible calls this kind of arrangement is covenant. 
This is a covenant relationship. It's always a triangle. There are always three corners. There's me, there's you, and there's God. Three of us are in the relationship together. Most of us relate in lines. It's the geometry of relationships. Just you and me. We talk to each other, we talk to each other, and the lines are not holding in our culture right now. The Bible is saying, relate in triangles. Talk to God before you talk to one another. Talk to God about one another. Talk to one another about God. You see, this is covenant. Now, I want to talk a little bit about covenant today. And I know we look at this passage, we oftentimes think about marriage. This is the story of the origin and the gift of marriage. But it's also the story of the origin and gift of a relationship. The gift of intimacy. This is, this is right there at the heart of the garden. God wants intimacy for all human beings, whether they're married or not. He wants to do it through covenant community. Now, marriage is a covenant. Uh, the word covenant is not used here, but it is elsewhere in the Bible. So if you're a Bible geek like me, you might want to write down a few verses here. I'm gonna, we're going to work it pretty hard today, actually. We're going to dig deep and do some Bible study together. The word marriage is, 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 uh, is used in conjunction with the word covenant in Malachi 2.14 and Proverbs 2.17. Uh, marriage is definitely a covenant in the Bible. But covenant is much broader than marriage. Uh, for example, just the Bible, we talk about the two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Testament means covenant. Actually, covenant, the word testament is a reference to the word covenant. So the whole Bible is about God's desire to have covenant relationship with us. The Old Testament is the Old Covenant. God made a covenant with Israel through Moses. The New Testament is the New Covenant. God makes a covenant with all people through Jesus. This table will be here, gathered here shortly. It, it, Jesus says, this blood is the New Covenant. This cup is the New Covenant in my blood. So it's all about covenant, relationship at its best. Relationship that works, renewable, sustainable relationship is, is a covenant relationship. It's a triangle. So uh, what I want to do in the next, in the majority of my times, I want to tell you about covenant relationships, and I'm going to give you five marks of covenant. But I want to step back from that just long enough for you to think about your relationships. Just think today, to whom do you find yourself speaking? Or maybe even not speaking could be more accurate today, right? Who are you in relationship with? And you might, if you're married, you might think of a spouse, you might think of a boyfriend, girlfriend, business partner, you might think of family member. What I want you to think ultimately is about this community. Who are your, who's your, who are your Christian people? Who's your us with Jesus at the center? Okay? Because Lori Brenner said this a couple of years ago, and I thought this was so great. You know, the, the, the real picture of intimacy, the icon of intimacy in our culture right now is the bed. But that's not true for the Bible. In the Bible, the real icon of intimacy is the table. It's where we have communion with Jesus. And that's for all of us. But in a church our size, uh, to really have an experience of that community, we need to have smaller circles, big groups and small groups. So I want you to think a little bit about those people, your covenant community. So, okay, now let's go back. Five marks of community. If you want to remember these, I've, I've, I've tried to make this handy for you. Uh, there's, a, there's a word, you could, uh, an acronym, MAP US. M-A-P, all caps, U-S. We're trying to get back to where we can map what we share together in America 
and here at UPC. Map us. So here's the first mark that we come to in this passage, and it's the, it's, it's, it's the M. It's ministry. Okay? Covenant relationship is always all about service. That's what ministry is, is service. In, in verse 18 of chapter 2, the purpose uh, for this relationship is described. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. Covenant. In the ancient Near East, covenants were treaties that kings made with one another. They, would, they were compacts of mutual service. Um, they were economic treaties, trade treaties, our spice for your lumber. There were political alliances. We will protect one another against a common enemy. These covenants were basically about service. And that's what's happening here. Remember, if you were with us two weeks ago, I talked about the reason the man is in the garden. It's to serve. Verse, look at verse 15. God put the man there to uh, till the garden and to keep the garden. And that word till means serve. It's the regular word for serve. To serve the garden and to preserve, to guard, to preserve the sanctity, beautiful beauty, and goodness of the garden. And God is saying here, you cannot do it alone. Not by yourself. Not this garden. Not this God. So here's a helper to serve with you, to serve you as you serve, to be served by you as you serve together. So services and ministry is really at the heart of covenant community. Now, just a little bit of a footnote on this. Some of us get concerned about this because we think, well, does this make the woman sort of a lackey to the man, like she's you know a personal assistant? No. The word that's used for helper in verse 18 is never used of an inferior. In fact, it's usually used of God. The majority of times this word is used in the Old Testament, it's of God. He is our helper. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, Psalm 121. God is our helper. Is God weaker than you? Is God somehow inferior to you in helping? No, just the opposite. He's superior to you. That's why his help is useful to you. So if you want to compare these two, make the woman the one who's superior to the inferior because in his autonomy by himself, the man is not up to the task. She will be when they're together. Okay, so ministry is the first mark of healthy relationships, serving one another. In a triangle, the self in any of these corners does not exist for itself. It exists for the other. To serve is basically to put the interests of somebody else ahead of your interests. What's the second mark? Thank you for asking. Amnesty. <laughs> That's the A. Amnesty or forgiveness. Verse 25, we read, they were naked and not ashamed. This is a beautiful picture of intimacy, knowing and fully known. They were naked. and Where does that kind of tr transparency come from in a relationship? It comes from vulnerability. Where does the vulnerability come from? It comes from amnesty. It comes from knowing no matter what you can risk because you'll be forgiven. You have been forgiven. Now, they haven't done anything wrong yet, right? Someone's going to point out. It's true, but remember, this text is written after the fact, and it's written for people on this side of the fall who know all about hurting one another, and we're going to see it actually shortly in this text. Uh, we hurt one another deeply, and yet there is forgiveness. Nakedness, by the way, here is not a sign of like prudish humility. It's actually a symbol of guilt. Nakedness is used oftentimes in these covenant passages throughout the Bible for guilt. It's covenant language. And God is saying, you know, we have built into the covenant community a remedy 
for human guilt so that shame never plays a role when we're aware of God's presence bringing amnesty into the equation. It's what happens in a triangle. You stop keeping track of all the wrongs. You know that list you've got? You know, well, well, you know, you always or you never or just yesterday doesn't happen in a triangle. It's good news, isn't it? Right? Because in a triangle, I find I'm forgiven and I have forgiveness for you. And, I, and I'm, I'm so surprised to see that you have forgiveness for me as well. It's a beautiful thing. Third mark of a covenant priority. This is about having a primary loyalty. Something's number one for this uh, couple now. And uh, it's that we see it in verse 23, verse A. And a. Uh, the man says, bone of my bones. Uh, so he says, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife. He's leaving something behind. He's got a new loyalty. He's going to cleave together to her. Now, uh, um, this is covenant language. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 16, the Lord warns Moses that after his death, the people are going to leave me and break the covenant I have made with them. That's that language, leave. Deuteronomy 13, verse 4, he says positively, him, the Lord, you should serve and you, and you, and to him you shall hold fast or cling or cleave. I'm just showing you, this is covenant language. The leaving and cleaving business, that's what happens, that's what happens in covenant community. Now, here's what's so surprising about this. In this passage, Two things. First, it's directed at the man and not the woman. Do you notice it says, the man shall leave? Any other place in the ancient world, it's going to say, the woman will leave her family and come and be part of the man's family. It's her job to leave. Because men are like, this is patriarchal society. But you know what? That's not what it says. It says, the man, let the man leave. But the focus is on him. They're both going to leave, but the focus is on him. Because it's so darn countercultural. He's going to leave. And then the other thing that's so surprising is he's leaving his parents. In a, in a patriarchal society, the man, the father, the great patriarch, the grandfather, the tribal leader, that man, then he's number one. He represents your number one authority. So if you were to leave that behind, uh, you're leaving your number one priority, and a new priority is taking first place. So this is like big. Even the fifth commandment is you shall honor your father and mother. So you're still supposed to honor. But there's a kind of a distance now. It's not just setting up a new domicile. It's just kind of an emotional distance, a financial distance. Distance is reflected in how you use your time. This guy's, it's going to put everything now in subordination to this new covenant community. Everything else is taking second place. That includes work. That includes his golf game on Saturday. And that also includes, by the way, even the children. Okay, this covenant community takes first place. It's a new priority. That's the way it is. Now, not a lot of us relate to the church this way anymore, do we? I mean, I hope you're seeing how countercultural this is. Wow, the church, the covenant community, you're saying? My small group? Wow, that takes first place? Yeah, in a covenant community, actually, that's the teaching here. Third mark is, uh, uh, fourth mark is unity. M-A-P, map, now we're getting to us, Unity. Uh, or oneness. And this is, a, this is a beautiful reflection here in verse 23a. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Again, covenant language. For example, in Second Samuel chapter 5, we read that the tribes of Israel are gathered around David to recognize him as their king. And he makes a covenant with them. There's a covenant right in there. And they say this as part of that right. We are your bone and flesh. 
That's covenant language. We are your bone and flesh. Not what they're, they're not, this is not about genetic affinity. This is not saying we're biologically related to you. You know, we're, we're distant family. This is actually about covenant commitment. This is about, uh, loyalty. We, we, we are, our fortunes are going to rise or fall with your fortunes. We so commit ourselves to you that we will be one with you no matter what befalls us or you. And this is the, the kind of imagery that in a covenant community, you're two separate individuals or many, seven separate in, individuals if we're thinking about your small group. You're still in, you, you still have your uniqueness, but you've been bound together by the covenant sovereign at the top of the triangle who looks at you as though you're one. So, so in some really weird metaphysical way, what's good for you is good for all. What's bad for any one in the group is bad for all. And the apostle Paul gets at this, right? He's saying the hand can't say to the feet, I have no need of you in 1 Corinthians 12. Just can't say that. You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say to yourself, oh, the cancer's only in my thyroid. It's a really small thing. All the rest of me is fine. I'm not worried about it with time soccer. No, nobody thinks that, right? Any part of your body that's suffering affects the whole part of your body because you're one. There's a unity there. So life in a triangle, it's not separated or distinct, but joined. Okay, number five, the last mark of covenant community is spirituality. And this is the one that makes all the other four possible. This is a community that's going to be dependent on God as its covenant maker and covenant keeper. God is the one on whom the faithfulness of the relationship hangs. How do I know that? Well, look, in this text, the word Lord is used in a special way. Notice the text. Look at it. You'll see it's on all caps. You see that? When you see the word Lord in the Old Testament in all caps, it's referring to the special covenant name that God gives Israel. By the way, we don't have that in chapter 1. It's the generic name for God as he creates all of the universe, all reality, the cosmos. But moving to chapter 2 now, it's the narrative of the covenant making and keeping God, stepping in as an agent now in human history, beginning to transform all things. Lord is the name that God gave Moses for himself at the burning bush. He said, I am who I am. Some translate, I cause to be all things. This is God as an active agent. And by the way, he says to Moses, these are my people in Egypt enslaved. He cares about justice because they're my people, he says. And I'm going to come as their rescuer, and I'm going to send you as an agent. This is, this is a covenant reality. This is a kind of spirituality that makes space for God, the rescuer, to come in and change the whole equation. For me, the best example of this is Joseph, which is also, you know, at the end of Genesis, we have the long story of Joseph. And, and Joseph, you know, he's in covenant relationship with his brothers. In verse 27 of chapter 37, write it down, look at it later. The brothers say, hey, be careful with Joseph. They're going to do something bad to him. This is a caution. Be careful with him because he's our own flesh. What they're not saying there is genetic affinity. What they're saying is we're in covenant relationship. God is the one who formed this, this relationship. We're accountable to God for this. So let's be careful what we do with Joseph. Well, they're not really very careful what they do with Joseph, if you know the story. And at the end of the story, all the suffering that Joseph goes through because of what his brothers did, there's something wonderful that happens. In chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers who really need his forgiveness and amnesty, you know what? You meant this all for evil. God meant it for good. What's he saying? We have a faithful covenant partner. 
It's not just us. We're not just talking to each other in this thing. We're talking to God and God's talking with us. And he's an agent of transformation in the relationship. The apex of the triangle messes with the dynamics between the two corners. You harmed me. You wanted to harm me. That was what you were trying to do, and you did. But God redeemed it all. God transformed it all and made it for good. And he becomes this agent of change, not just in his family or in his nation, but in the whole areas. They go through a famine, but he's, God's provided resources through Joseph. In a triangle, you're not limited by your own resources. You are open to the resources of heaven. Ministry, amnesty, priority, unity, and spirituality map us. Now, those are the dynamics that we're looking for if we want to allow Jesus to heal our relationships. Let me back up and give you an, a visual on this. I mentioned earlier Kirsten Powers. She's a, um, a political commentator and consultant, and she told a little bit more of her story in USA Today recently. She's the one who said we're not connected, so driven by individual success. And she's been very successful. She found herself one day in a Manhattan skyscraper pressed against the glass of a restroom, sobbing. She asked herself, how is it that I could be, quote, living the dream, financially, professionally successful, and feel so despondent, just sobbing, not wanting to live? Well, what I want to suggest to you is what she needs in that moment is Jesus. And I want to make two real quick points before I let you go about, about Jesus for, for Kirsten Powers. Because you've got a neighbor today who's just like Kirsten Powers. She, she looks very impressive on the outside, but her heart is desperate for hope. So she needs Jesus. Let me, so the first point I'd like to make is this. Why does she need Jesus? It's this. The flesh and bones of Jesus make community possible. And the breakdown in her life was a breakdown in community and in relationship. She'd just gone through a real long, drawn-out, and ugly breakup with her boyfriend. That was what's driving this. She'd been talking to him, and he'd been talking to her, but they hadn't been talking to God. They didn't even know how to do that. They would not been relating in triangles. They'd been relating in lines, and the lines were breaking down in their relationship. C.S. Lewis once wrote a letter to a friend and he said this, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Get this. He's setting up a triangle for his reader. He says, insofar as I learned to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God, just a line, and instead of God, I shall be moving towards that state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed but increased. What he's talking about is the difference between a contract and a covenant. Contract's just a line, and, and you're constantly negotiating over the midpoint of the line because you don't want to give more than the other person gives, right? I do my part, you do your part, meet me in the middle, 100%. We're constantly maintaining that and going, you didn't do your part. In a covenant, it's very different. We're not negotiating over the midpoint. We're leaning into the center, the apex, Jesus, who himself maintains the relationship as we draw near to him. That's what Lewis is saying. That's what Kirsten Powers needed. Jesus is what we're looking for. Jesus is what she was looking for in all of her pursuits. This story of the man moving from one animal to the next, 
not finding what he's looking for. It's like this, the trail of my relationships, my historic, you know, I've left behind a lot of broken relationships. It's like, the, I had a good time with the fox, and then the hedgehog was even better, and I dated the hedgehogs for a while, and then the elephant was something else, you know? And look, what is he looking for? He's really not looking for the right date, not really looking for the particular person. This is just called a woman at this point, not looking for her, not looking for marriage per se, looking for intimacy. And the only place we find intimacy, true intimacy, is in relationship with God. God. That's what we're looking for. Jesus. The second final point is the how question. How could someone like Kirsten Powers or your neighbor or you and me find Jesus? And the answer is this. The flesh and bones of Christian community make Jesus visible. The flesh and bones of Christian community, as imperfect as it will always be, makes Jesus visible. Somebody invited Kirsten Powers to a small group. She rode the elevator up another Manhattan building, stepped into an apartment, and when she got to know the community of believers who were relating to one another but speaking to Jesus better, she said, God invaded my life. She wasn't even looking for it, wasn't even sure she was welcoming it. You know, kind of a media elite in New York. But she couldn't resist it. The Apostle Paul re- refers to people like you and me as the body of Christ when we get together. Jesus himself in the upper room with his disciples said, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. You could finish the sentence for me. By the way that you love one another. By the way that you love one another. So work the triangle. When you get into community with other believers and you live with this covenant God and work the triangle, you don't just get a triangle, you get a cone. You get a circle of people pointing heavenward where a, a cone is visible to the people around you, like a beacon. Oh, the world is so hungry for people who are ministering to one another and ministering to the world. Oh, the world is so hungry for people who live with true amnesty and forgive one another and accept one another. The world is so hungry for people who will put relationship, things that really matter, and make them a priority in their life. People who grow together in unity or who deepen their spirituality. That's what we do in our small groups together. Jesus knows all about hard relationships. But maybe he's got you here this morning because he wants you to know he's at work in your relationships today. Making his love flesh and bones. When we speak to each other, we say very hurtful things like crucify him. But Jesus, our faithful covenant partner, always speaks first to God. He says things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And in the end, it's not so much what you and I say to each other that matters. It's what we say to the one who has spoken for himself in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we bow now just to speak to you. To say thank you. To invite you. To occupy the space between us and the others to fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that we might enjoy the fullness of your covenant-making faithfulness, to be renewed, to be refreshed, to be fruitful as a people. Pray that you'll do that in this room and wherever we go upstairs or in other classrooms today. We also pray through the week that you'll help us to give visible expression 
to your covenant faithfulness for our city, Seattle. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.